0: Hello, and welcome to Hot Girls with me, Let's On The Decks. This is the show where we explore the mechanics of the music industry through intimate conversations on creativity and biography episodes exploring the lives of iconic artists. This week, I'm doing something a little bit different and taking a look at the musical journey of not just one fabulous woman, but six. Destiny's Child were a super group who achieved super success. Magical talents, which, when they came together, formed a group of rare longevity and icon stature. Rather than center on the individuals, in this episode, I'll walk you through their career as a group, and that group itself had a few different players. The foundation, the dynamics, the failures, and the methods which meant those failures weren't ever the endpoint of Destiny's Child. This is a lesson in Focus by Destiny's Child. Ladies, ladies gentlemen. listen up. You're listening to Hot Girls. With Lex on the deck. We're in the mix. It's fire. going. We are fire. From London for the world. Let's go in. If you think the story of Destiny's Child starts with when they were a four, you're a stage ahead. The story of the group, or at least my telling of their story, starts in 1990 and another girl group who went by the name of Girls' Time. That group originally had six members, all who were around the age of 10. One of them was Beyonce Knowles. And someone came along to an audition for Girls' Time by the name of Kelly. Oh, that's right. Kelly Rowland and Beyoncé met age 9 or 10, and they became friends really quickly. I think for her, it was somebody that she finally met, that she connected with. We became friends right away. We eat, breathe, slept, music and singing. For a group of children, Girls' Time got some pretty good momentum. They performed at lots of talent shows and started to create a bit of a buzz around Houston, Texas. A big break for the group came when the girls were about sort of 10 or 11. And they got on a show called Star Search. They were excited. They practiced. They'd done all the hoping and wishing that you could do. And they got kind of talked into doing a hip hop song. So a little bit like on the X Factor Now and stuff where the judge says, you know, I think this is what you should do. The people they were working with thought that would be a great move for them. And unfortunately, maybe it wasn't and they didn't win. And it totally crushed them. I don't know if anyone listening had any of those early performance memories, but they were really crushing to it. You think those are going to, You think that's gonna be your moment? You think that's gonna be your big spotlight? Kind of all of the dream and yeah, it wasn't it for uh, girls' time. It was, fun, it was fun, but we really were serious. I mean, we made it fun at the same time, but we were very, very serious because even before we were singing together, Matavi was singing at her at her house on the fireplace, and mm. I was singing in competitions mm. and. We were really serious about it and we met each other in the auditions and we were very serious about it. We performed every week and it was fun, but at the same time serious. Seeing what that crushing blow did to those young girls, I think most parents would probably have given lots of hugs and kisses and suggest they get back to their studies. But not the Knowles. They saw how gutted young Beyoncé was and decided instead to help her. Tina, Beyoncé's mom, from an aesthetic point of view. She'd been a hairdresser for years at that point. And Matthew, from a strategic point of view. Their household had always been very goal-orientated and focused. So this was kind of their response of saying, if this is what you want, then we're going to show you how to go after it. And so in the summer, even though they were only, say, 12 by this time, they set up, the Knolls, Tina and Matthew, a three-month boot camp over the school summer holidays for the girl group. So, the members of Girl Time at this point, I think there were four of them that had kind of <laughs> committed to the boot camps and they would go out on jogs in the morning, often singing to build up their stamina. And then they would rehearse in the afternoons. A choreographer would come in and they would also have vocal lessons. But the thing that amazed me when I was like hearing about this boot camp, aside from the fact that they were training at this level at that age, it wasn't just the technical skills that they worked on. They would also be filmed moving around the house. So, watching and critiquing their auras. It was like intense stage school, or almost like the kind of K-pop process, I guess. That total crafting of all aspects of what it means to be a perfect pop star or entertainer. Tina and I eventually built a deck patio in our backyard, and that became the stage. All the girls were committed, but Kelly has described Beyonce as just having that bit more of an intensity than the other members. Once they built themselves to a certain level... Papa Knowles started, no one told him that, <laughs> started speaking to people working in the music industry, label bosses and the like. He managed to get the girls an audition for a record label and uh, they went down all ready to go. And in this first audition, Matthew, so he was Beyonce's dad and the manager of the group at this point. He stopped them mid-performance and had a go at them because they'd gone swimming the night before. And he was like, listen to your voices. You can't hit the notes. This is a huge day. You should never have gone swimming. Which... As we'll kind of go on later to explore, some of the girls in the group weren't too on board with Matthew's approach. And it's quite a lot like when you hear um, trainers or managers of really intense athletes. I think you have to make that decision as an individual of, he's probably right, the swimming did affect their voice. How much do you care? Nothing came from that session. And the next opportunity for the girls to build some credibility came uh, in the form of some production time. While it wasn't a record deal, they took it up and they began producing songs with a bit more of a kind of polished radio quality level. Two years of grinding and rehearsing later, and they got a record deal. Uh, Really briefly, but they were actually then dropped from that deal. So at this time, they've been working together and training for about six years with some good moments, but generally limited success. And this was, the as a foursome, that would be the original Destiny's Child lineup. So that was Kelly Rowland, Latavia Robertson, Latoya Luckett, and Beyonce Knowles. After growing visibility and consistently performing around the Houston club scene, they eventually landed a record contract with Columbia Records, and that was in 1997. And in 1998, they released their debut album, the self-titled Destiny's Child. So I guess the point I really want to make there is... Even though they were really young when they made it, they started so young in their training for this. But I think where they were quite fortunate is if you think of like the young stars like a Justin Bieber or a Britney or a Timberlake, um, their early day training or any of the Disney guys, really, like their early day training was in the spotlight. Whereas Destiny's Child didn't get the spotlight because no one would give it to them. But that was actually probably a blessing in disguise because they got to go through that intense learning and development phase with a bit more privacy. Destiny's Child as an album was pretty much a hit straight out the park. The lead song on it was No, No, No. And I heard this amazing old interview where the interview said it was playing chart ping pong with Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. I mean, what a moment in musical history. This is a clip of the girls as a four then talking about themselves. Okay, I'm um, Kelly. And I guess what differs me from the rest of the girls is my sensitiveness yeah, <laughs> I, I, I saw that, and i was going to say to you, how how does yeah. that express itself? I'm really sensitive. I'm really mushy. Like <laughs> we'll be putting away groceries, excuse me, and I'll be like, "Gosh, I love you guys." And I'll be like, "Oh, that's Kelly!" Kelly. Like, oh, Kelly. I mean, you always have to have a moment like that, you know, just to let them know and reassure mm-hmm. them, you know, you guys mean a lot to me. You know, I love you guys, and also the fact that I'm the second lead vocalist of the group. Mm-hmm. And that's about it. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I'm Um I sing The Bottom, and I'm also the spokesperson of the group. And I guess I'm what everyone calls the diva, <laughs> Miss Sassy Lassie. Actually, um, I noticed that you, you're a Scorpio. Hi, I'm Latoya, and I'm the crazy soprano of the group. I'm the one that keeps everybody laughing. There's never a dull moment. Mm. Yeah, I noticed that and it said crazy, and I thought, <laughs> no, we've got a subtitle there. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll just. I, I'm very hyper, very energetic. Mm-hmm. There's always <laughs> something to laugh about when I'm around. I'm the stank one. But they are all crazy, so they cannot even front. And why are you hitting me <laughs> on it? No, they are, all, they are all crazy. By the <laughs> process of elimination, you obviously are Beyonce, which I did know. Uh, you are a Virgo, so you have my deepest sympathy. I'm one, too, which means you're probably a perfectionist. And yes, you're I probably am. an organizer. And those are not always easy or popular things to be. Are you also the so like the mother figure of the group? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I figured. Yes, I am. Whenever something is needs to be something needs to be done, I'm the one to say, come on y'all, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. Just try to keep everything together. And I am very much so a perfectionist. Too much, too much of a perfectionist sometimes. <laughs> I know the feeling. I have to work on that. <laughs> Their second album was phenomenal and actually. I feel a little bit bad for Latavia and Notoria because the second album they released as a foursome was The Writings on the Wall. And that album included Prepare Yourselves," Bills, 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 Jumpin', Jumpin'. Wow, they really like, no, 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 Bills, 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 Jumpin', Jumpin'. Okay. Uh, Bugaboo, Say My Name, plus features from Missy Elliott and Timberland. So that is a lot of hits for one album. And it was a very defined sound they had in this album. It went to number five on the album chart. So They had this incredible record. Everything was going really well. They were sort of all ready for stardom. But unfortunately, there was a lot of cracks happening in the group chemistry. And ultimately, Latoya and Latavia didn't want to continue to be managed by Matthew. They just didn't like his approach to management, just didn't like working with him. They found him really overbearing and I think quite aggressive. So they essentially wrote letters expressing that they wanted severance from him as a manager. Now, obviously, just being sort of, you know, to balance both sides, they probably wouldn't have had a record contract if it wasn't for Matthew Knowles because he was the one kind of pulling all the strings behind the scenes, getting them in the right rooms with the right people, getting their training up and stuff. So when he heard that, it was like, no, no, no. And to be fair, I think no record label is going to want to have a group where they've got like one manager managing some members of the group and a different manager managing other members of the group, because you're just going to have constant conflicts. So... From the record label side and from the management side, they said like, there's just no way that will work. And that was really like the severance and the breakdown began there. So the group split following the recording of the Writing on the Wall album. So a lot of the videos from that time feature Michelle Williams and Farrah Franklin, but the the vocals are actually from the original girls. The split got quite nasty quite quickly. Um, There was a lawsuit that was filed against both Kelly and Beyonce and Matthew Knowles separately. To be fair, on Bay and Kelly, they were always the lead singers. And so a big moment, basically, in the breakout was like, Say My Name video came out with Farrah and Michelle as like this launching of this new band as a four. And Latoya and Latavia were like, oh, what the hell? That's like our song with two other girls in. However, it's not that they, were big, they weren't miming over the video. So I think it's kind of like, you yeah, know, not so bad. They just essentially used that video to announce a new lineup. But with all the free press and controversy, plus an album of hits, Writing on the Wall sold eight times platinum. Thought I wouldn't sell without just sold nine million. I wonder what's And if also you're thinking, eh, who's Farah? She was with the group for a short period of like five months. So when the first two girls left, they got replaced by two new girls. But then one of those two new girls apparently couldn't handle the stress and the intense schedule of the group. And she also struggled a bit with Matthew Knowles. So she's kind of said like, "Mm, wasn't into it, but she did want to stay in the group. But the group said she didn't turn up for certain things. So that didn't work out. So then Kelly, Michelle and Beyonce, final lineup, the Destiny's Child that we know today. But what I found interesting, because looking back, growing up in a time listening to their music kind of after, really fully after it had been released, like a few years after, I didn't realize that so much of the music was made with them as a foursome. I always associated the bulk of their success as being the three, but they actually did have quite a bit of success with those two original girls. But also props to Michelle, because I think she didn't go through that rigorous training process that the other girls did. So she had to then kind of like had six months to get to the level that the other girls were at in terms of just perfectionism, execution, group chemistry, all those things. I also think Michelle was a brilliant extra person for the group because no disrespect to Kelly and Beyonce, but they were both, their personalities at that point was both like the sweet, well-behaved ones. And Michelle was just like a bit funnier and a bit sassier. In a lot of the old interviews, Kelly and Beyonce are like, yeah, like just like just really sweet, like a little bit Taylor Swift-y, whereas Michelle's like, where are the boys at kind of thing? And so she just gave them a little... I mean, not really like an edge. Her solo album was a gospel album, but just a little bit more character. Independent Women Part One was actually the first single that featured Michelle and the group as a trio, which is a pretty cool way to launch that, I think, with a symmetry between the three band members and the three Charlie's Angels, because, of course, Independent Women was the soundtrack to Charlie's Angels. The follow-up album, Two Writings on the Wall, would have been hugely important for the group, I think, because it was that pressure to show that they really were solid as a three and they were missing nothing with the absence of the other bandmates. Luckily, it was brilliant. That album was Survivor and it featured the title track, obviously, Survivor, Nasty Girl, Bootalicious, and Dangerously in Love. And also one of my favorites, Emotion, the song Emotion. It's like a, a ballad, it's very pretty. They also then released a Christmas album in the same year, 2001. And at this, after this moment, the group didn't break up, but they went on like a semi-hiatus and were given the space to work on solo projects. Michelle kicked it off with a gospel album, which went to number one in the American gospel charts. You go, Michelle. And then Kelly came out with Dilemma. So it was literally like, bam, winning, bam, winning. Beyonce did some acting. And then Beyonce's solo career and solo releases came last. And I want you to take that in because often I think we feel like sooner is better. But sooner isn't necessarily better. You can let that sauce marinate. Ultimately, all the girls had amazing success as individuals as well as in a group. They reunited to deliver Destiny Fulfilled, which again with the bangers, I mean, it had Lose My Breath, Catered to You and Soldier featuring T.I. and Lil Wayne. They toured this album, and I, haven't, I hadn't spoken about it in too much detail, but touring and live performance was always huge for the band. It was really, like, always at the center of what they were about. They crafted and they worked on this so hard. Really, from those early days, fitness was always very important to them, having that strength and that ability to maintain vocals, maintain energy for three hours. I actually think harmonies and that is probably what set them apart. So what are my takeaways from Destiny's Child? Well, first of all, Rome wasn't built in a day. One of my gripes with the music industry is its desire for microwavable talent. Like, let's pluck them, get them ready, and then roll them out in a period of about six months. Destiny's Child was an evolution. It was a constant evolution, really, over a six to 12-year period for unrelenting practice. So I think if you want a superstar, you've got to give them the time to develop, and you've got to like, create that structure for them to practice. Second, uh, own what you bring as an individual and manage your ego. And I don't think this is just specific to a group scenario. I think like you can have this in any situation, but your relationships are really important. And I think if you look at where Latoya and Latavia's careers went versus Kelly and Michelle's, there was only one Beyonce and Destiny's Child, but you're standing by her side. And so, you know, most people want more freedom than Beyonce. Most people want time for attitude, hangovers, lions. You know, like you trade a lot to gain the status that she has. And I think both Kelly and Michelle do a brilliant job of crafting and owning their independent identities and different spaces without ever envying Beyonce or feeling like they should have the same credit as her. No one works as hard as Beyonce. And I think I mean that in an emotional level as much as I mean that in a, um, you know, she manages her emotions. I think Lemonade was the most phenomenal example of that. Connected to that, the third thing is focus, focus. Focus. I'm going to start with that emotional point. When you're working really hard on something and you know you really want to achieve something, there will be emotions that come into play that will conflict what you want to achieve. Say, for example, you're, you're doing loads of writing, then you have to spend loads of time by yourself, um, known from experience. And sometimes like loneliness might creep in or various other emotions. You have to be able to put that to one side and accept it as the, uh, the rough for the smooth. And then focus, obviously, also feeds into how you spend your time. And finally, Destiny's Child are so successful because of how they made people feel. Weirdly, I remember um, Justin Bieber talking about a pivot he did when he brought the album Sorry out where he'd, he'd gone through a breakup with Selena Gomez and he was feeling really heartbroken and really sad. And he was writing a load of music that was like quite depressing and then decided this isn't the album I want to bring out. And that's where Sorry came out, which was obviously a much funner song. And that, that album was huge. And think about why Megan Thee Stallion is so popular, why Cardi B is so popular, why Madonna is so popular. It's more than just having catchy songs and good performance. It's about the way those songs make people feel, the way they make women feel, gay people feel, black people feel. That your voice matters and that anything which could otherwise be seen as a struggle or a negative is actually instead part of what makes you, you. And coming out the other side of challenge is where your superpower and strength comes from. That's how Destiny's Child make people feel. When Kelly and Michelle bounced out of the floor for the Super Bowl, that will never not give me goosebumps. There really is for me something about the power and legacy of Destiny's Child that is unparalleled. And so for that, Matthew and Tina Knowles, crazy overbearing parents that you were, I'm very grateful to you. And thanks for listening, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, do give it a like or subscribe, or even better, tell a friend. Next week's episode is an interview with burgeoning superstar Morgan, who you may know from the recent rudimental hit Be the One. Her first EP was released a few months ago with writing credits from Anne Marie, so it's one not to miss. Until then, stay safe and blessings to you all. What up, Lex? we keep our eyes on the prize. If not surprise, good women were destined to rise. Inspiring, celebrating, uplifting the new generation. Some hot girls Yes. All the hot girls come alive, all the hot girls we never vibe, all my hot girls come alive all 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 the